Should the UK government discourage all leisure international travel? The regional election in Madrid heads up as an outspoken anti-lockdown candidate leads the race. And the UK successfully trials the first live music event since the start of the pandemic. Monocle staff tackle those topics today on the late edition here on Monocle 24. Hello and welcome to the late edition here on Monocle 24. I'm Carlotta Rebello. I'm joined here in Studio One at Midori House in London by Monocle 24's Fernando Augusto Pacheco and Paige Reynolds. Welcome both back to the show. Paige, it's nice to have you with us on a Monday for a bit of a change. Uh, tell us, what have you been up to? What can you tell us from your weekend? Well, Carlotta, I actually had a bit of a, a bit of a quiet one this weekend. In fact, you, you actually know what I was up to this weekend because I, I came to you for counsel, for advice. I have a, a monastera, a cheese plant that was looking a little bit, uh, a bit sad. And you told me that I needed to repot it. So I went to the garden centre, got some new planting soil, but I actually forgot to get a pot. Quite so, essential for repotting a plant. Yes, so I'll be back. I'll be back at the garden centre, maybe maybe late, late, later today. We'll see. Well, we are looking forward for that update on the late edition. Do stay tuned for <laughs> the trials of uh, Paige Reynolds' cheese plant. Uh, Fernando, uh, were you one of the many millions of people glued to your screen last night for the finale of the British show Line of Duty? Or have you been watching something different? I, always on Monday, we talk about what you've been watching on the weekend so I'm curious I love that question to be honest I, I haven't I didn't watch Line of Duty but you know as an entertainment reporter I'm very curious the British love that series uh, and, and I think the ratings are more than 12 million people watching that that's an incredible number but you know what I was watching Carlotta the Big Brother Brazil, the big finals on Tuesday. So Sunday was a big edition of the show and now we have only two uh, people there, Camila and Juliette, you know, and who know, it's a big success in Brazil still. I think it's the 21st or 22nd edition, but it's still, you know, everybody talks about it. I still it. can't believe Big Brother is still going in Brazil. And it's still influential, you know, and my money is on Juliette. I mean, if you want to bet, she is the clear favorite this year. Well, you need to start that petition to get yourself on Celebrity <laughs> yeah, Big Brother yes. in Brazil sometime soon. Paige Fernando, great having you both here on the Late Edition. Let's start today with a look at international travel from the UK. The public is waiting for announcements on just exactly what is going to be permitted, when and how, following the release of a traffic light like system to rank countries between green, amber and red. But today, the all-party parliamentary group on coronavirus told the government it should discourage all international leisure travel in order to protect the UK from different variants of the virus. Uh, Paige, this is all, of course, regarding the upcoming date of the 17th of May, when a lot of people expect these restrictions to be dropped. Um, What do you make of this? Should there be limits on international travel or which side are you on in this debate? Well, it's it's a it's a very tricky question, and of course, it's it's not only a question uh, of of logistics and uh, infrastructure and politics. It's an emotional question as well. I mean, we were having a little preamble chat, Fernando and I, and of course, I'm from the UK, and I just get to stay where I'm from and from my home country. Different situation for you, Fernando. Different situation for you, Carlotta. So it's it's definitely not without um, it's not without some nuance. I think this question. Having said that, the seventeenth of May feels very very soon. That's in what two weeks' time, and you know we're all seeing what's happening across the world. I mean 
particularly in India. And I think that's somewhere where people have got their eye on. There's this Indian variant. We know that it's already in the UK. There is concern about how that's going to spread. And you know what? The biggest concern of this traffic light system is how it's actually going to operate within the airport. Now, I'm not sure if there have been reports from Heathrow, Gatwick, other big kind of terminals within the UK about how they're actually going to make this happen from a logistical perspective. But it seems like it's going to be pretty tricky. I mean, how do you really separate people who are coming from red countries, amber countries and green countries? How do you make sure that someone from a red country doesn't go to the loo at the exact same time as someone who's from a green country? Now, I'm sure they're thinking about all of this, but also it's only two weeks to go. I don't know just how much you can actually do from a logistics perspective within an airport in this amount of time. And it also feels like we've spent a lot of this pandemic in the UK on the on the back foot and the vaccines have come along we've done something proactive here's another chance to do something proactive instead of reactive and i just think maybe we could sit tight for a little bit longer i mean we're already at kind of you know zero level in terms of we're already disappointed we've just had three months of lockdown you know i think we could hold on a little bit longer but what's going to be really difficult is if we're allowed to travel and then it gets taken away from us again that's going to be really really difficult both i think from an emotional perspective but also just how the government are going to police that and 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 sort of make government policy to to respond to to people's needs. Well, and you risk uh, with that uh, travel system, the traffic light system, to be in a situation similar to what happened last year with the travel corridors, where people would go to a destination that was within the travel corridor and within a 48-hour notice, you no longer would be. And if you didn't make your way back in what would have then become an extremely expensive flight to get back to the country, you, one, would not be allowed back or you would face quarantine, which wasn't as structured as it is now. Now we know if you're coming back, the price of the quarantine, you need to stay in a hotel. But back then, no one had any idea. So you had this mad rush to come back to the country, sometimes with a uh, little m- more than 48 hours notice. So uh, that question about how it all is going to be implemented is really interesting. But you touched there upon, you know, what is a, quite a relevant point, uh, I feel particularly for Fernando and I, which is the idea that not all travel well, not all leisure travel is just holidays um, to go away and get a bit of, you know, escapism from your routine. A lot of people just want to go and see their families or return to their country of origin uh, for a few days. Uh, a lot of people haven't done that in nearly two years now. Um, now, Fernando, we've seen similar conversations happen in other parts of the world about this. And we're getting in situations where some people cannot even return to their country of residence. So I'm curious to hear what do you think about this idea that we should hold off um, on opening things up, restrictions should be in place for a bit longer, just to avoid going back and forth between opening up and closing down. I disagree mildly, uh, just mildly, Paige, so don't (laughs) worry. I do think that you need restrictions. I think at the same time that you can open the country a bit more, you just have to make sure that there are still restrictions. You have to pay for a COVID test. I don't know how many you need. I think that's fine. People need to understand that if they really want to travel, indeed, they have to pay the consequences, at least for now. Because the danger for to delaying a little bit more, the UK might be in the same situation as Australia, which I've... Australia, I feel very so conflicted about it. They were clearly a success story in, in number of deaths, which which is amazing, really. And I think a lot of Australians are, are happy. But at the same time, when I read that Australians in India, they can't return to their country because it's... Um, it, basically, it's illegal. I mean, the government said it was illegal. I, 
I just don't think it's right. I mean, you can, you know, if you want, let's put hotel quarantine or whatever. But I don't know. I mean, otherwise, they're going to be locked up until when? Do you know what I mean? I'm not saying that travel should be easy, you know, and whatever, because I do understand COVID is very much present in the world. You see... It's India, but before it was Brazil or whatever. But, but I mean, we need to make it a bit more humane as well. I've heard so many stories of people with family that died and they can't attend the funerals. And, and, and there was a story from someone that I know from Zimbabwe that, you know, she went to, you know, to the funeral, but then she was tested positive and then couldn't travel to Zimbabwe in the end. So it, it's just it's just a complicated world we live in. But... I mean, I, I just I just hope that we open a tiny bit, a tiny bit, you know. But, but I think just just to add to your point, I think that the debate at the moment is is how do you have less restriction on international travel without actually actively encouraging people to do so who mm. don't need to do so. And I think that is what policymakers are, are needing to wrestle with. And I think that's the conversation that's happening in the UK right now. It's let's not encourage people but try and reopen in an incredibly sensible way. So we'll see. And it's quite a difficult position to be in because a lot of the European countries are trying to uh, push for, you know, an advertising campaign, um, almost lobbying to get people there. Because we need to remember, for a lot of European nations, Portugal comes to mind, Greece is another one. Tourism is as essential to the economy as the city is here in London, as other industries are in other countries in terms of the percentage that it contributes to the country's GDP and economically. So, of course, you're going to see a push from some European Union members to try and get British tourists back uh, uh, traveling and back there spending some money. But as you both say, it is a complicated situation and one that I think in the next few weeks will become apparent what's the way forward. Well, speaking of European Union members, let's turn to Madrid next in Spain, where the region is heading to the polls tomorrow to elect a new governor. The frontrunner is Isabel Diaz Ayuso, who, if elected, will be confirmed as the fastest rising star of the country's political right. One of the reasons why she has become so popular with Madrileños is because of her refusal to implement lockdown restrictions. Let's hear a clip of what she had to say at a campaign rally over the weekend. And they told me you have to close it. You have to close it because that's what the minister is saying. Because you have to understand each other. Because of moderation. All the reasons they always use to make you retract, shut up or cave in. So I'll rise in front of others and say the mayor won't close. And I'll tell the president of the government that I'm not going to close Madrid because there's no reason. Because I don't feel like it. And because nobody will blackmail me. Isabel Diaz Ayuso there speaking at a rally over the weekend. Uh, Fernando, Ayuso belongs to the right-wing People's Party, but she does come across quite, let's say, outspoken, almost populist. Um, Is that fair to say? I think so, because there's even discussion that if she wins, she could potentially, I'm, I'm using word, the word potentially here, uh, do a government in, in, in with an alliance with Vox, uh, the far-right group in Spain. So that's kind of already shows a little bit her politics. And what's interesting here, Carlotta, because only a few years ago I, w- I, I was telling my colleagues, oh, Portugal and Spain, they're kind of, they, they went, they're not moving to the, to, the, to the right or to the far-right like many European countries. I thought they were like an exception. I thought, oh, are they a bit more welcoming? 
perhaps to immigrants. But I think I was wrong. I mean, when you see, I mean, clearly she's very charismatic. Clearly her message is connecting uh, to Madrileños. And not all of them, uh, but, you know, they like it. I mean, if, if she is the favorite to win, there's something uh, about her that is right for Madrileños. But I, I, I just think it's a danger. I mean, we had so many examples of populism. Donald Trump, Jair Bolsonaro, so many cases. So I, I do think people in Madrid, they should be a little bit more uh, mindful of, of, of someone like her. I'm not saying maybe something connected. Maybe people are tired of lockdown there. Maybe did affect the economy deeply. So, you know, it's very hard for me to judge, I, you know, because I'm not there. But it just shows about the danger of populist policies. I mean, it's not over. People think, oh, we had Donald Trump. It's never going to happen again. Well, not really, huh? Uh, Paige, she has refused to close bars and shops and has constantly taken on central government whenever they've wanted to implement lockdown restrictions, as we've just heard. If she gets elected, is this a dangerous pathway for you know this particular type and brand of politics to enter the mainstream? Because we need to remember Spain is already heavily fragmented, particularly when it comes to the question of independence, particularly between you know the central government in Madrid and regions such as Catalonia. So I'm just curious if allowing this sort of politics to become normalized will down the line become worse for Spain. 100%. I mean, uh, in fact, picking up on what Fernando was, says, was saying about, you know, Vox potentially coming to the fore um, through through Ayuso's uh, election. I mean, it looks like that potentially really could happen. Um, officially, uh, she wants to govern alone. She said that, but it's very unlikely she's going to get the majority that she wants. The, the left-wing parties are completely fractured. Um, and I was reading about 78% of, of her party, their voters are actually in favour uh, with forming a coalition with the far right, with Vox. That's a lot. That's, that's, that's a heavy proportion. And if that does happen, it will be the first regional government in Spain with the far right controlling several ministries. So they're going straight into the mainstream. I mean, it's, it's not even a, will this go, could this happen? It, that would happen. Um, so I think it's something to be wary of and and we've seen how the sort of uh, far right i mean broadly speaking how this health crisis has been quite useful to them another kind of scapegoat to kind of uh, i guess funnel their sort of fundamental beliefs in kind of libertarian uh, ideas in in freedom in kind of you know anti-state control um we've seen anti-lockdown protests across europe we've seen them in brussels budapest Prague, Vienna, London, the Netherlands, Germany. A quick note on Germany, actually. The AFD um, have actually vowed to campaign for an end to COVID-19 restrictions um, as, as part of their manifesto now for the September elections. So you can see how useful COVID-19 and, and its restrictions have been to the far right. And you can see how that helps the far right come into mainstream politics because then you have the far right and the centre right having this kind of uh, common ground. The whole question will be how long does it last and how long will the far right be able to use that as a kind of sort of, I don't know, as a ruse almost or as kind of a, a surface level thing to kind of bring their their core politics to the fore. It is quite useful to, to campaign for an end of lockdown restrictions when vaccinations are being successful and the world is recovering, but we'll leave that thought for another day. Finally, on today's show, this past weekend, the city of Liverpool here in the UK became the host of the first trial of live music since the beginning of the pandemic. 
you're going to have the best night you've had for a very, very long time. Well, that sure sounds like fun. Around 5,000 people attended the event where there was no social distancing nor masks as a way to trial a safe return of live music, hopefully this summer. Well, I was quite envious of that crowd when I was watching reports from it and just hearing it now. Uh, Paige, what do you think? Is this the best way of ensuring you know live music can return? We definitely have all missed it. So is the way forward to just do more of these trials until... We can say it is safe to go out and enjoy because no one wants to go to a live concert or to a nightclub and have to be, you know, meters away from other people and in bubbles of six. Well, exactly. And I think if this is the only way, then it's got to be the best way, right? Because we, we've got to get back out there. Um, it's quite funny, the uh, European culture uh, correspondent for the New York Times, Alex Marshall, he was at the event in Liverpool, as were a few other journalists. And I think we were all uh, watching his tweets kind of stream in on Friday. And to be honest, right at the start, I wasn't that jealous. It looked it looked pretty awkward. Uh, people didn't quite look like they knew what to do with themselves. Perhaps it was all, all that time off or perhaps it was because it's started at about 3pm in the afternoon, uh, perhaps one of the two. Um, but actually, as it kind of revved up, I saw later videos and I did think, wow, I've just, you know, when you've almost, because it hasn't been allowed to happen, my brain's almost gone into a coping mechanism where I've almost forgotten what that felt like and, and what it looked like and how it made me feel. And I saw those videos and I kind of got that, oh my gosh, remember that? That used to be part of your life. You used to love doing that. So, you know, if these trials are going to enable things to happen, then definitely. And, you know, no, no one's, not, not only did, will no one not want to go to a club if they have to social distance, it also just won't happen. We know that in reality that all those rules will be broken at some point. So, you know, I say roll out the trials. Let's get back in the clubs. Maybe a trial in London soon, if anyone's listening. <laughs> At Midori House. <laughs> well, Fernando, I know that you're not a big fan of music festivals, but even you must have been a bit jealous of of, of this weekend's trial. You know, I, I felt happy for them. You know, I, I was like, I was like, oh, so nice. They can do it. You know, and I think it's important for young people. Look, look, I'm not that old. OK, but it's important for young people to dance, to flirt. How people have been flirting. You can't just do that online, you know. So, you know, I was very happy. I was not particularly jealous because, you know, I like to dance, but perhaps in a more kind of discreet environment, a little bit less than 5000 people, but very happy. Go on the trials, you know. Let's dance. There we go. Let's dance. If there's a smaller trial with fewer than 5,000 people, sign up for Nano Agustin <laughs> Any more than that, do contact me and Paige Reynolds. That's all for today's late edition. A big thank you, of course, to Paige Reynolds and Fernando Augusto Pacheco. And of course, to our studio manager, Sam Impey. I'm Carlotta Rebello here in London. The late edition is back at the same time tomorrow. <laughs>